Hello, this lecture is on abnormal uterine bleeding. I'm Nora Drummond. I'm a doctor of nursing practice, a midwife, and a family nurse practitioner. I'm a clinical instructor here at the University of Michigan School of Nursing, and I'm in clinical practice with the IHA Nurse Midwives in Ann Arbor. The objectives today will be to discuss the prevalence and impact of abnormal uterine bleeding, to identify differential diagnoses and diagnostic testing for abnormal uterine bleeding, to, to discuss the use of palm coin, and to identify treatment options for acute and chronic abnormal uterine bleeding across the lifespan. So abnormal uterine bleeding, is it a nuisance or a health risk? Unfortunately, um, abnormal uterine bleeding is often um, too easily dismissed by healthcare providers. Um, it's important when presented with this problem in clinical practice to do a thorough workup. Um, it can be something that is completely benign um, for the woman that you're working with, or it could be something that is potentially life-threatening. Um, irregular bleeding can be indicative of cancer. Um, not having bleeding can actually put you at higher risk of malignancy. Um, it can cause uh, iron deficiency and anemia. As far as cost, healthcare costs, it costs about $37 billion to the U.S. every year. For an individual woman, it may decrease work productivity and income by up to 30%, which is just profound. Um, and it can really impact the quality of life for women. So it's important to take it really seriously. Um, menstruation is really dependent on three different um, endocrine organs, the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, specifically the anterior pituitary, and the ovary. And they all work together in intricate and coordinated manner um, in positive and negative feedback loops to regulate hormone production. And then in, in addition to those three endocrine organs, the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the ovary, you also have to have a normal outflow tract or a normal uterus, cervix, and vagina. Um, the hypothalamus, pituitary, and ovary are often called the HPO axis for short. So it's interesting, um, this HPO axis is often used in, as an example in basic biology texts. You might have learned this in high school or in undergrad. Um, and in essence, it's a lot more complicated than what we're going to talk about today. And I think it's really important to know, especially if you're going into women's health or going into specifically working with women with infertility, for example, that what we're going to talk about today is highly simplified um, and that there's a lot more factors that go into this than just the sort of three things that we're going to talk about today. I still think it's useful to learn this part of it to have an idea of what's going on because it will help you understand the menstrual cycle. Um, so the hypothalamus releases what's called gonadotropin-releasing hormone. Gonadotropin-releasing hormone impacts the anterior pituitary, which releases follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. Uh, FSH and LH are going to tell the ovary to produce more estrogen or estradiol and progesterone. Um, again, this is an oversimplification, but it's important um, to at least have this basic to understand the menstrual cycle. 
So the menstrual cycle can be divided into what's happening um, in sort of the ovaries and what's happening in the uterus. So the ovarian cycle begins with the follicular phase. It begins on day one of menses. So we're always going to calculate a menstrual cycle starting on the first day of a period. The follicular phase is the most variable in time. Um, A normal menstrual cycle can be anywhere from 21 to 35 days, and the 14-day variation is basically almost all dependent on this follicular stage. Um, It begins with really low levels of estradiol and progesterone um, coming from the previous cycle. Those low levels of estradiol and progesterone are going to tell the hypothalamus to release gonadotropin-releasing hormone, which is going to stimulate that anterior pituitary to release follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. This is going to cause a cohort of follicles to release um, estradiol. In turn, those high levels of estradiol produced by many follicles will result in a decrease in follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. Then a dominant follicle will emerge. The dominant follicle will have the most or the greatest number of estradiol receptors. And the other follicles will begin to atrophy. And overall, that's going to cause a decrease in estradiol. That decrease in estradiol will cause a release of high levels of follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. Um, And the dominant follicle will begin producing higher levels of estradiol. This is going to cause an LH surge, which begins with ovulation occurring 32 to 44 hours after that. Um, The luteinizing hormone surge peaks 10 to 12 hours before ovulation. Prostaglandins and proteolytic enzymes will break down that follicular wall. That dominant follicle will rupture, releasing an oocyte. Um, And the oocyte can be fertilized for 12 to 24 hours after it's released, and that is ovulation. Um, After ovulation begins the luteal phase, the luteal phase begins um, or it lasts approximately 14 days plus or minus two days. So it is much more standard than the follicular phase. Um, From that ruptured follicle, um, the corpus luteum emerges. The corpus luteum produces high levels of progesterone now peaking at seven to eight days post ovulation. The corpus luteum will produce moderate levels of estrogen. If no pregnancy occurs, the corpus luteum will regress and both progesterone and estrogen levels will drop. Um, And the luteal phase ends with the onset of menses. Uh, The uterine cycle is defined by endometrial changes. Uh, It's separated into the proliferative phase, the secretory phase, and menstruation. So the proliferative phase is highly influenced by estrogen. It's where your endometrium is going to grow and thicken. 
It usually lasts just around 10 days from the end of menses, so different than when we're talking about the ovarian cycle, right? We're counting this from the end of menses until ovulation. The secretory phase or the secretory phase is really dominated by progesterone. It averages 12 to 16 days. Um, it is the span of time from ovulation to menses. And in this time, you're going to see lots of endometrial um, hypertrophy. So the cells are going to grow in this time, um, increase vascularity, and it's favorable for implantation. And then the last phase is menstruation, um, which occurs when you get declining progesterone from the corpus luteum if it has not been fertilized. Um, endometrium undergoes involution, necrosis, and sloughing. And it averages about three to six or four to seven days. So a normal menstrual cycle in adults, the average interval in someone that is ovulating is 21 to 35 days. Um, the duration anywhere from three to six or four to seven days, blood loss, about 35 to 80 mLs. Um, when you're talking to your patients about this, you're gonna ask them what they're using um, you know, are they using pads? Are they using tampons? Are they using a diva cup? How, what, you know, is it a regular or is it a super and how often they're having to change those things? Um, adolescents are a little bit different, 21 to 42 days. They're much more likely to have cycles that are anovulatory or without ovulation. Um, and this can persist for about a year or two after initiation of menstruation. So those are sorts of the norm when everything is working well. Um, and But what we're really talking about today is when things are not working so well. And we're gonna use um, the palm coin nomenclature to help us work through the differentials of what might be occurring either in the cycle or outside of it, like a structural change that might be impacting it. Um, in the old days, we used to have lots of different diagnoses like menorrhagia, metphoragia, oligomenorrhea, um, and what happened is they were not consistent from provider to provider. They caused quite a bit of confusion. Um, so in 2011, they attempted just to organize all of these things into um, the term abnormal uterine bleeding so that we would all sort of know what we were looking at together. Um, and the using palm coin to sort of help us organize our differentials to make sure that we're getting to the bottom of what is happening for women. Um, there's still sort of two categories that are used, um, either heavy menstrual bleeding or intermenstrual bleeding, which can be quite different. Um, so the palm coin nomenclature, we're gonna talk a lot about this in the coming lecture. Um, but just as a brief introduction, let's just talk about what palm coin means. So the palm in palm coin stands for all of our structural problems that might be causing this abnormal uterine bleeding. Those things in uh, include a polyp for P, um, adenomyosis for A, a lioma for L, um, that is commonly known as a fibroid, um, and M for malignancy. And then the non-structural causes of abnormal uterine bleeding in include coagulopathy, that's what C stands for, ovulatory dysfunction, 
endometrial issues, iatrogenic issues, and not yet classified. So in the coming lectures, we'll talk more about how to use these to help uh, diagnose and treat our patients.